This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. All right, Shannon. Well, I'm excited to have you on today um, because the minute I heard you a couple years ago on a podcast, I think it was Jamie Ivey, I was like, oh, she's from Indiana. That's so exciting. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, it's always fun to hear from other Indiana women. Yeah, it always perks my ears up. There was another uh, person on Jamie's podcast that I discovered that actually lives here in India and I've since met. So um, so it's amazing cool. what you, you hear on a podcast. Um, That's right. Well, I am a huge fan of your writing, I have to say. Um, I first read Ministry of Ordinary Places, and then I'm actually almost done with Falling Free, so I went backwards. But Yeah. Um, oh, good. The writing, I mean... So, just so good. I, I just, you can just tell that you had an important message to share, but you did it with like the, the care and conviction of a writer who really. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman? Serve in the workplace? Or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Loves her art and know what she's doing. And I don't always find that necessarily in all the books yeah. I read. Um, you know, the kind of Christian lifestyle books, I read tons of them. I have to tell you, yours is definitely uh, the favorite in, in the past couple of years. So, oh, that's um, so nice. Beautiful, beautiful writing. Um, well, thank you. You're, and you're, I have to tell you, you know, it's, you know, when you sit down to do the writing, it's nice of you to say that it, it appears that I know what I'm doing. You do. <laughs> because it, it doesn't do. often feel that way. When you're in the thick of it. Well, so. and I, I have to tell you, both were great, but I have to say, Ministry of Ordinary Places, I could I could feel that you had even gotten a better hold on it. Um, yeah, well, so, thanks. Yes, but I have Falling Free more in my head because I'm in the middle of that right now. But um, yeah. how was it writing the second book as opposed to the first? Was it easier? Um, Did you feel like you had kind of found your footing a little bit in the publishing world? Um, it was... Okay, it was... An, it, in some ways, it was way harder. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's not the the answer that you may have expected. But you know, it's it's one of those funny things where you know, like you sort of said, I we're we're constantly whatever we do, whatever it is that we do, whatever art we're creating. And I, you know, I'm a big believer that we are all artists and we're all creating something. You know, mm -hmm. so whatever that thing is, we're always practicing and we're always getting better. So I feel like, you know. I know that I grew in in those two years in between as a writer, but 
I had so many kind of painful conversations coming into that with my editor because to, you know, I, I sort of felt like, okay, I, I just already said everything I have to say in falling free. I just couldn't wrap my brain around where to go. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how did you find it? Did you just start taking notes and yeah. brainstorming like what this chapter could be, what that chapter could right. be? I knew I knew that the first book was more about going and mm-hmm. I knew the second book was going to be more about staying because the, you know, this is just the trajectory of my life. Um, and so, you know, I had an idea that it was going to be um, more rooted to this place where, you know, my neighborhood where we've landed in this life that I'm in. Um, I remember my editor telling me, and she's just wonderful, but she said, you have your whole life to write your first book. Like mm-hmm. she understood it. So yeah. everything, you know, the first book is sort of, you know, I was in my early 40s, I think at the time, maybe four, 39 or 40, I don't know. But, it, you know, that book got everything that was that was in me up to that point. And then to do it again, two years later, it was kind of that panic moment yeah. of, you know, do I have anything left to say? And so you dig deep, you know, you just, for me, it, it worked well. I mean, it's stressful and it's, awful and all of those <laughs> things are true. But like you said, I mean, I just, and this is, this is really part of the message of the ministry of ordinary places The you know, it's kind of the theme of the book is just um, paying attention, you know, paying attention to my life, paying attention to what God is doing inside me. And, and on a really practical level, like you mentioned, taking a lot of notes, Yeah, you know, you kind of, you go into this place and I'm kind of going back into that place a little bit right now for whatever it is that I write next. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but you go into the zone. And so you start, for me personally, I start taking notes in the strangest moments. And, you know, you've got to, I've learned to have somewhat of a system. So I'm not just grabbing a a receipt from the grocery store or because I do that sometimes too. That's not a very organized system. I don't, I have before and I didn't, that didn't work real well with me. I'm not for anybody who knows me. Um, <laughs> I'm not a very techie person, but I do. I carry a, a notebook okay. in my in my giant bag, and I also will email myself. <laughs> so oh, that's me. That's what I do all the time. But I uh, sometimes I like forget what I titled it, and then I like I never get the <laughs> note to myself ever again. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep a file in my <clears throat> excuse me in my email of like, you know, ideas for the next book. And that helps a little bit. But yeah, I, you know, and sometimes I do that thing where whether it's in a paper notebook or in an email, I'll come back to it. And, you know, I've written down three key words because Mm -hmm. I was, for whatever reason, I couldn't go into detail. I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea what these words were ever supposed to mean. So I'm trying to get better at not losing that thing. But, you know, I I go into the place where I'm, I, I fall asleep thinking about it. And so, I always have this, this hasn't happened yet, but I I always have this sort of joke with God that maybe he would just sort of deliver my manuscript to me in my dreams or my title, you know, titling a book is always so hard. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just like reveal it to me while I sleep. That would be amazing, but no luck yet. I feel like I could have a very long conversation with you about writing, but (laughs) speaking of titles, um, I kind of brushed over the title of your last book, which is called The Ministry of Ordinary Places. So if everyone wants to just think about that for a second, um, you'll kind of get the gist of partially what that book is about. Um, But to back up a little bit, Shannon, you are now currently living a life that you did not envision for yourself 20 years ago. 
Um, and yeah. you chronicle that story in both books in some ways. Um, yeah. You're now living in a city. You used to live on a farm. Um, you used to work in Washington, D.C. You used to do a lot of things. Um, but you and your husband and your family decided to completely kind of 180 your life at some point. Can you fill me in on a, uh, your family, the makeup of your family? Yeah. And then how did you get from this point A to point B where you are now? Yeah, this is the question. <laughs> I mean, um, and in a short, we'll, we'll elaborate on that, but the nutshell first. Right. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, my husband, Corey, and I have been married for almost 20 years. And, you know, we had the typical met in college story, um, you know, come from very similar backgrounds. And our we, so we have four kids and all of our kids came to us through adoption. And I'll kind of rattle them off quickly in, in the order in which we receive them into our home and into our family. Um, so we have Calvin, who's 14, and he was born in South Korea. Ruby is almost 13, and she was born domestically. So we have an open adoption with her birth mom. Silas is 10, and he was born in South Korea. And then Robert is 25, and he was born in Chicago. Um, he lives, you know, he's off on his own now. He's grown, as he reminds me often. And <laughs> um, he came to us most recently when he was 19. Okay. So yeah, you know, to answer to, I guess, step back into a little bit of like, so how did this happen? Right. I mean, you know, it's a long story. And so like you said, I've real, I really laid out a lot of that backstory in my first book, Falling Free. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we just came to a moment of sort of a spiritual crisis slash awakening, um, where we just, we came to see the world from a different lens and from a different perspective. We came to understand that what we had been doing up to that point, though we had both grown up, my husband and I both grew up very much in the church and in church culture. And, you know, we both loved the Lord. We were always involved in church and all of these kinds of things. But we came to a point of understanding that what we had really been doing was living the American dream with a sight of Jesus. And we, at the point that we really understood that, we were very unsatisfied with that. So we we knew that there was going to be something more for us. We knew that we were missing things. We knew that God had more for us. But we didn't know in the beginning that God's more for us was going to look like less. And that was that was not something that we even had a a frame of reference for, you know, mm -hmm. I, I never understood ever that God's more could look like less. And so, you know, a lot of things happened, you know, we, we did during that time bring Silas home and that was a really hard transition for everybody. And then within a couple of months of bringing him home, Corey and I both lost our political jobs very suddenly and outside of our control. Um, and so we did, you know, it was a journey. And at the time, it felt like it just took so long. It was just, you know, one weird step at a time. But we just, we felt the Holy Spirit kind of calling us into a place that might not look like, you know, a place that, that many people would, would choose. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we started to see in the life of Jesus. Is when we really started to inspect how did Jesus live, we saw that he chose people and places that other people did not choose. And that was that was the way that he lived. And and so we we wanted we wanted to experience that. And so we landed in in our little neighborhood in a small sized city. I mean it's just it's a very ordinary, sort of shabby, you know, it's just a, a very overlooked 
very diverse, um, very, um, you know, it's it, socioeconomically, mm-hmm. it's an area of high poverty. The school is a Title I school. And so it's just, you know, it's just kind of like this this sort of weary place that just, you know, it's so beautiful to us. And we've just, we've rooted ourselves here and we've dug in and, you know, it, it reveals itself and its beauty to us all the time. But from the outside looking in, it's like, you know, why would anybody, why would anybody choose this? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we did and, and, many of our neighbors have, and, and this is what, this is what it can look like. It, it, we can make those choices that from the outside looking in just seem sort of strange. So in, in terms of where you landed, I know, I believe your husband, he's the, his Twitter handle is like jail chap, right? Right. So yeah. he's the chaplain at the local prison. Uh-huh. And is that, was getting him getting that job, how you kind of chose the location? No, it's so interesting because we, I mean, you know, the, the location to some extent chose us and that was a long process too, but we landed here and within a month or so after we moved to this neighborhood, um, you know, Robert entered our life in a really meaningful way. We had, we had known him sort of from the periphery for a while, but he was incarcerated at the time he was in jail. And so we started visiting him at the jail and then he was sent to prison. We started visiting him in prison and then he was released on home detention after prison to us, you know, to our mm-hmm. home. And it was a few months after he moved in that the jail chaplaincy opened up. And mm-hmm. I was the one that was like, uh, Corey, I think that this is, you know, I think this is for you. And Corey's like, absolutely not. You know, all of the, it was never on our radar. And up until Robert, neither of us had ever even set foot near a jail. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it went from being so foreign to being, you know, this is it, Corey's life and work at the jail and his friendships there really kind of permeate the rest of our life now. You know, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, that's what that's kind of one of the central facets of our life. And so, yeah, it was it was interesting because, you know, it was a, it was off. It's awful to have a son incarcerated. Yeah. I mean, it's painful and it's scary, but it, it's interesting that that is what ultimately led to Corey being the full time chaplain. Um, your this just reminded me, I was going to mention this and it's popping into my head. So I'll just mention it now. Um, you have said, I believe you have said your favorite book is Tattoos on the Heart. Oh, my word. You were the Absolutely. first person I ever heard talk about that book, uh, that podcast so long ago. And yeah. I said, she said that's her favorite book of all time. I am taking that very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> like if someone says that they mean it and I did, I did read it and it was so good. And just, oh my gosh, that, it's beautiful. I feel like there's a, at least in some way, um, kind of a, a reemergence of compassion for people that have been um, yeah. in prison for whatever reason it may be. And, right. and obviously there is, I mean, at least I think there is, you know, some issues with the criminal justice system in terms right. of who's Absolutely. getting what. And, um, I read that book and then I read, um, sure you've read just mercy, Brian oh, yeah. Stevenson. Um, and I just think that's so great that it's getting so much attention right now yeah. and that we're recognizing how important it is to like give people the resources and the, and the love and compassion that they need in order to rehabilitate and come out yeah. better on the other side. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, of course, I having a, a family of... makes a huge difference if he didn't have right. that before. I, I think so many of us coming out of 
church culture, or, you know, my sense is I'm not the only one, but we're almost looking for permission to really love the world that we're in and to really love the people around us and to really choose compassion over judgment. And so, you know, Father Boyle, I mean, that book is still my favorite of all time. Mm -hmm. And I read it when we were on the farm still. I mean, I read it at such, it it fell into my hands in a strange way. And I know that God moves through, through books. I mean, I know he moves through these ordinary moments of life because I know that all of those, you know, they're like little, you can look behind you and see that brick by brick, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know that if I hadn't read that book when I did, I don't know that we would have been ready for Robert. And yeah. you know, the just the the tension and the complication, ultimately the joy and the love and you know, all of these things that he brought into our life. But I think there would have there might have been a part of me that that did not quite get it. Yeah. Um, so I just yeah, all of this matters, you know? Well, and you talked about in the book, um, you know, G- or God sends his people to hard places. Jesus went to hard places. And would you say if we're that we should always be questioning whether or not we're too comfortable in our lives 100%. And and I put I put myself squarely under that lens of criticism. You know, that's yeah. that's the question I'm asking myself all the time because it is so preferable to choose comfort. I mean, it just feels like the easier way and it feels like, you know, the it feels like the way that we can avoid um, criticism and and judgment from the people around us. It feels like the way that we can, you know, it it feels like it's going to be easier to choose comfort. And in some ways it is, but I think, I think as soon as we can learn that rather than detouring around discomfort, but just kind of nose diving into it, mm-hmm. I just think that is, that is the gateway to abundant life, you know, to, to choose the hard things and not just the things that look like they're, they're going to be comfortable or, or safe or secure or peaceful, or, you know, all of these things that just seem easier. We just, we miss out, we miss mm-hmm. out. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think we are called to tension. And so it's no matter where we live, you know, I know most people don't live in the neighborhood that I live in. And I'm a firm believer that wherever you are, you're there for a reason until you hear otherwise, that's your place. And, you know, I want you to fall in love with it. Um, but also wherever you are, it's so important to find a place of tension mm-hmm. and and begin to to build some meaning around that in your life. And you mentioned uh, gateways to to things, and and you wrote about that a couple of times. I noticed you saying, you know, this was the the entryway towards this or that. I believe you said, you know, you ended up um, adopting your children not originally because you were like we want to adopt, but because you guys were having trouble, and right. you ended up going the adoption route. But in in that first adoption, I think you said it was your first um, kind of opening to the more marginalized community or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, God probably is constantly giving us gateways or doorways. So. And, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you recognize those things for what they are? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, you know, during the, during the time that I was just, it's, it's all a process. And so I just, I want people to hear me saying, you know, where I am now this process that that I'm still in the midst of right now, but this particular process began like eight years ago. You know, yeah. this is just, it's a slow journey. 
and and it's allowed to be slow. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to we can we can rest in the fact that we're allowed to just take it day by day, take take our time um and just pay attention. So, you know, when I was early in this journey, I remember driving in South Bend, which you might be kind of familiar with, but it's mm-hmm. a larger city and it's especially, you know, 8 years ago or whatever. I mean, it's 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 kind of making bouncing back in some really cool ways, but it's been a harder it's had a harder road. Mm-hmm. Um and I remember just driving through South Bend and all of a sudden, you know, just sort of seeing seeing some of the people that were, you know, walking on the sidewalks and they're just, they're going where they're going. They're living their ordinary life. And, and, and me realizing, okay, there's a, my impulse might be to, to be sort of afraid of this person or to, Mm -hmm. you know, to feel that tension, to feel that discomfort, but to begin to just see this, you know, whoever it is, whoever it was as, as being fully made in the image of God and fully loved by God. And, you know, to understand, that the outward appearance of, you know, things that we might think of as kind of scary or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that a lot of times, maybe most of the time, that's masking a lot of pain, you know, to just start investigating and asking the harder questions, being aware and being available, you know, having, having right. time, having, having the space in yeah. our lives to, to when we see when somebody kind of crosses our path, um, and and I don't mean that to say, you know, that we need to be about trying to fix people or, you know, no, but to to see to see people as the opportunity um, to receive the love of God, to receive the grace of God from them, to receive friendship from them. We just have to be we've got to be aware and we've got to be available. Yeah, that concept is so, so good. And something that stuck with me um, one time. It was something that Bob Goff said. He said something like being a Christian means, you know, having being inconvenienced. And it means right. um, having the space that you talk about. It means you need to keep your eyes open. And I mean, that's that is really the most powerful, almost like the most powerful kind of witness that you can have is just being available to someone when they need you. Right. I mean, I think, that's I think so true. I- when we got to the neighborhood, I had this idea that I had to almost like go out and drum up business for the Lord. You know, like <laughs> now that we're here, what should I be doing? Right. Because I've been conditioned to always be doing something. And so it took time and it still, you know, I still sometimes can lapse back into that. But just, you know, we can be living our ordinary lives. Um, and instead of just, you know, feeling like we've got to do a whole song and dance to try to you know, to make things happen, we can just be living our lives with open hands, you know, that, that we are here, we're available. Um, It takes time, but it's worth learning to let go of our own agenda. It's worth learning to welcome those inconveniences. And it's never, it's still, I say this every time I talk about this, because it's true. I still, my impulse is still when those, when those inconveniences pop up, mm-hmm. my impulse is always like, I don't have time for this yeah. or like, no, I don't want to do this right now, you know, yes. but, but I'm learning over time to push through that yeah. because I know that through that barrier of my own pride and my own selfishness, through, if I can get through that barrier, that's where the magic waits. That's where the miracle waits. Yeah, I, that's, that's so true. I, um, I have that same, I think probably everyone has that same instinct to be like, Oh, I don't want to deal with this right now. Or like, I should do this, but I don't want to. I mean, as someone, I, you know, I have two little kids, you have four kids. So it's like, we're busy. And 
you know, I, I don't know about you, but I get like a plan in my head. Okay. This is how today is going to go. I can right. cram all of these things <laughs> in, but I can't have anything else like interrupt me or I'll never right. get it done. And so then when that thing comes to interrupt you, you're like, Oh, this is going to screw up the plan. But it's like, we have to just, I think we should just enter our days with the, you know, knowing that they're flexible and pliable and we don't know what God has in store every day when we, we wake up and to just be open to whatever that is divine appointments. I've, yeah. I've heard them called, you know? That is the ministry of ordinary places. That's it. I mean, you just, you summarized it so well and it's, it's, it's a small thing, but it's a huge thing. I mean, it's, it, it sounds simple, but in practice, it's the biggest and you know, that's what we have to offer. And, and so it's worth taking the time to, to dig deep and, and find that it's worth, um, you know, looking at the world through the lens of, of Jesus, you know, that we yeah. can, that we can see beauty in hard places and we can see interruptions as our redemption. That's the thing. Oh, that's such a good quote. I love that. We can see interruptions as our redemption. I think that's so good. <laughs> well, you had an, an Instagram post recently that really just spoke to me in the right moment. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to read part of it <laughs> right sure. now. Now, this was a, a picture of your kids. I think they were heading off to school. I, I think there was snow on the ground. Um, but here's what you wrote on that post. Uh, you might know me because I write books, um, write things in books and on the internet. I treasure each of you in this bright space we've created. I take not one bit of it lightly, but the truest realist me knows that the author is my side hustle. It's not who I am. I'm an unspectacular neighbor. I clean my own house poorly and answer my own answer every email myself, eventually-ish. I stress <laughs> about the budget and white crumbs off the counter 20 times a day. Today I prayed for sentencing, hearings, and sobriety, and for all of us to somehow cling to hope through the crap life kicks in our faces. I'm so lucky to be able to write some of it down along the way, but if I had to choose between my online stuff and the daily life that practically keels me over with boredom and overwhelm, no contest... Most of us aren't authors. Big whoop. We each planted with, we're each planted with purpose and God is waiting to meet us in the faces nearby. That is a very big deal. Lord, give us the guts to sift through the mundane and consider it all gold. Uh, yeah, that was just, I was having one of those days where just, I, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. So yeah. sometimes it's like, the mundane that really sticks out to me and oh, the, it's know. all there is <laughs> in the end in the end it's all there is <laughs> exactly no and I just it's so silly but I you know I looked at you and I you know I re just read this book this beautiful book that you read and see this life that you have and I guess I was like you know it's like the 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 mundane is there for everybody um right. and it's like I, I sometimes like I, you know, I wrote a book last year. I sent that to you and writing is kind of like a, a reemerged passion in my life as of late. Yeah. And I'm having, you know, having this kind of like identity crisis of wanting that to be like such a big part of who I am, but recognizing like here, reading your post, recognizing like that really doesn't matter. And that really yeah. isn't what, you know, the stuff of life is about. Right. Um, and I loved how the end you said, sift through the mundane and consider it all gold. How do you do that? How do you learn to rejoice and find gold in that mundane, everyday, you know, your house is dirty yeah. again, part of life? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Please. The house is always dirty. It <laughs> it's just never is. not it's dirty. It's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you get to that place 
and I don't always feel like I'm there. You know, I, I don't want to give disclaimers to everything. I say, but I, <laughs> yeah, I'm always I always want to make sure people know that the struggle is just real. It's real here. And it's, you know, you understand, like, we're, we've written books, but man, we're just we're just people who doing a lot of things poorly is yeah. how I feel. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you get to that place by it goes back to what we talked about a minute ago. You you can only get there by choosing the hard thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. You can only get there by you know, it, it, there can be such a temptation to to sort of find ways around the mundane. Um to I just joked to my husband last night like, you know, I don't have anybody that helps me with anything other than, you know, my friends and my neighbors and my husband, but I don't have like an assistant or anything like or somebody that cleans my house. Yeah. And I made a joke to him, you know, I just want somebody to answer all of my emails for me. <laughs> but but the truth is there's there's gold there. There's gold in sitting down and doing the mundane task. There it is what it's what grounds us. It's what keeps us human. It's what keeps us connected to each other. You know, I just, I, it scares me to think of, um, you know, I, if, if all of the mundane tasks went away, I just don't know who I would even be. Yeah. It's important. It's important to stay in that, in that ordinary zone. It's important to, to, to hold on to the mundane really as, as tightly as we can. I mean, I think that's something worth holding on to. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, um, oh gosh, now I can't remember. And I talk in my book about my husband, you know, growing up in an abusive and traumatic situation, and he just wanted mundane. That's all he wanted. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for those of us that have lived, you know, a better life at, than he did at that time in his life, like we don't know what it's like to want ordinary. That's it. So it's hard to That's appreciate so good. it. Yeah, I, boring is a privilege. It exactly. is. Oh my gosh, such a privilege. I mean, so so to be able to to choose it, you know, even in times when maybe we wouldn't have to, mm-hmm. um, but to choose it anyway, to choose, you know, that's that's what we're learning and have learned in some ways by you know living in this neighborhood. I mean, we're conditioned as as Americans to to always move somewhere better, to always mm-hmm. move to a bigger home, to always move to a nicer neighborhood, to only move to a job where you make more money. So, so choosing the ordinary or choosing the less, I mean, there, there's real power in that because it's just, it's something that we have to do with, with a lot of intention. And I think when we do, no matter which area we do that in, I just, I think that's such a place where God is going to, um, really commune with us. That's just what, you know, and that's what, that's what I see. That's, that's how life has gone. And you see Jesus just choosing those low places, but we resist them. And I wonder why. So, you know, what if we just, what if we took a leap and we just chose that low place? Yeah. And it's, it's, this is ties in so much to some things I've been reading. Um, There's a book coming out that I'm reviewing. It's called Dignity and the author is Chris Arnade, I think is his last name. Anyway, you'll definitely want to read it. It's really good. Okay. Um, But he, you know, the point he makes is like, and so many, maybe like the place that you live or other places, um, those, a lot of people that live there, they don't have a choice. They can't get out of there. Yeah. And so, that is another just kind of, it's a need for, um, life to come to them in some ways. Um, I'm, I'm really involved in writing about church planting lately. So this has been on my mind a ton in terms of, you know, finding those places that need that community and, um, 
and yeah, you're, you're totally right. Um, I want to pivot. I know we don't have a ton of time, so I want to pivot to one other thing. Yeah, um, sure. Now, I won't ask you too many questions about your time on Capitol Hill, but <laughs> now that you're in this different life, um, I'm curious, having had that experience, um, how do you now view your role as a citizen? Um, I don't, I, I think I've seen you tweeting a, a, here and there about like some p- political issues. Um, yeah. So obviously you're kind of plugged into what's going on there, but how do you see our duty as Christians and citizens po- pol- uh, participating on the political scene? Yeah. And um, what what is our duty as a Christian in that space? You know, Corey and I have conversations about this all the time because, we, you know, he, he worked deep in, he worked right on Capitol Hill in mm-hmm. a congressional office. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there was a time that we were so um, invested in the political landscape and I'm still really interested in it. Like yeah. it can be to an unhealthy degree sometimes. Like I can read <laughs> the news too much. I can yeah. care too much. And Corey's good at reminding me that there, there is some futility. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all for people being engaged and involved and, you know, knowledgeable and aware and voting and, you know, even um, doing some activism and I I'm there for all of that, yeah. but we have, we've, we've been too close so, so we know that, you, you know, know there's like just, the oh my gosh, it's just, you know, nothing, it, it can feel like, you know, if we let ourselves get cynical, it can feel like nothing ever really changes. I mean, change is yeah. worth fighting for all that's true. But, but to say as a Christian, what is our role? That to me is much more simple. Our role is to live as neighbors. Our role yeah. is to stand with our neighbor on the wrong side of power. Mm-hmm. You know, to to really meaningfully stand with the people who have the least amount of power, and that will cost us greatly, and that will look very political to the world around us, mm-hmm. because you know the world around us only sees things through um, liberalism or conservatism or Republican or Democrat or you know, so it's gonna it's gonna um, look like we're being overly political, mm-hmm. but but what it really means is that we are choosing the low place, we are choosing our neighbor, we are believing that to love our neighbor as ourself matters, and you know the the verse in Jeremiah twenty nine work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile because Mm -hmm. its welfare will determine your welfare. Mm. So if our neighbors are not free, then we are not free either. And that's where our work begins. I mean, so it has to be local. It has to be, you know, on street level. Yeah. Um, And it's going to be messy and it's going to be confusing. And, you know, all of these things are going to happen, but, but we get to do it anyway. We get to stand with our neighbors anyway. Yeah, I think that's that's very right, and um, I know what you mean about having seen the back end of things because you hear politicians saying things, and you're like, "I know what you're doing." <laughs> and right. Not everybody does because if you right. haven't been there, you may not get it. An average American doesn't, um, so yeah. it can be infuriating sometimes, and it's hard to step out of it. Especially hard for me since I still kind of am in that environment in my right. professional yeah. life. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but okay, that, that was great. I, I totally love that answer for sure. All right, Shannon. Well, we have a few end of the podcast questions to do um, now that we're kind of coming to a wrap. Although if this wasn't a 45 minute show, I would want to talk to you much longer because you have so many great things to say. Um, everyone definitely needs to pick up copies of Shannon's books. I will definitely link those in the show notes. But before we go, I do want to ask you, 
have you read any good books recently? I think you're a big reader like I am. Oh, my word. Um, it's yeah, it's hard. It's hard if, being being. Well, I'm going to be buried alive one day by books. <laughs> Me too. It's, oh my gosh, it's, it's never ending. And I started. I'll tell this story real quick. I started saying, "Okay, you are going to go to the library. You're going to stop buying all these books." And no, I went not. to the library. <laughs> I got a book. Right, I got um, that book by Jackie Hill Perry, and oh, yeah, I yeah. was reading that. I read a quarter of it, and I lost it on vacation. I had to pay for it at the library. So I was like, cause this is costing me more than (laughs) buying it would have. But that being said, recent good book that you've read or two. Yes. I I mean, I'm reading constantly and I'm usually reading multiple books at the Mm -hmm. same time. But one of my recent favorite books is called Glorious Weakness by Aaliyah Joy. Mm. It's a brand new book. It just came out a week or so ago. And it is I mean, it is perfect for anybody that's been connected to the conversation you and I are having mm-hmm. today. It's a perfect read. Um, the subtitle is Discovering God in All We Lack. Mm. And it's, it, it is a, she is a beautiful, oh, really? beautiful writer. Oh, my word. And she has such a, you know, I think you would, you would really love it. But she writes about all, you know, she writes about pain. She writes about mental illness. She writes about poverty. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful story. Well, you've sold me. I see her on Twitter, and I've seen that book name floating around. So now I now I have to read it. <laughs> you have to buy it. I mean, I'll don't buy it. just bypass the library. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm like almost done with the library at this point. <laughs> just for my kids now. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you have a, I don't know if you're much of a podcaster, but do you have any podcasts that you're really enjoying or shows or mm-hmm. anything like that that is on your radar right now? I am listening. I listen almost every day to The Daily, which is a okay. New York Times pod- podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's just a 20 minute, 20 or 25 minute. That goes back to my, you know, deep investment with yes. current events. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's it's a great way to just stay connected to what's happening. I've learned a ton. Um, and then I also listen most days to it's a it's a podcast or a prayer app called Pray As You Go. Mm hmm. And that's just a short, like 10 to 12 minute, um, like a devotional app yeah. almost, but it's done by the Jesuits and it's, you know, they have these wonderful British accents, and, but it's really, it's a really beautiful way to start the day. That's a, yeah, I need to find a, a short one. I have all these podcasts that I listen to that are like minimum one hour, right? <laughs> it's hard yeah. to cram it all in. It is. Um, okay. If you could have dinner or drinks with someone famous, who would it be and why? Well, you tipped me off to this question and I'm glad, but we've all, we've, I'm going to repeat myself a little bit because the, my answer to this is Father Gregory Boyle. Uh-huh. Have you met the him? The author of Tattoos on the Heart. I've met him in just sort of a, um, you know, hi, yeah. we're, you know, like a book signing situation. He endorsed Falling Free That's what for I me. thought. I thought I saw that. Yeah. Oh my word. I, but you know, that's one of those things where he did me a huge kindness, but he doesn't know me. He doesn't really know me. He read some of my work, which was amazing, but I would love to sit down with him and just, you know, talk through all of that. There's, I feel such a connection with him in part because of, um, the jail ministry stuff. And just, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that so many of, of our, our family and people who have, like our friends who have become family, I guess right. I should clarify, um, have come out of incarceration and mm-hmm. gang life and all of those things. So yeah, he's my pick. Um, was that, were you nervous to ask him to endorse the book? I mean, yeah, I, it was, it was a fluky thing. And I, I was talking to my friend, Emily P. Freeman. She's uh-huh. another author. And, you know, she asked me, I think like, who's your wild card? Like, 
it's probably not going to happen, but what if it did? And he was it. And so I emailed him and he emailed me back and he, I mean, he was so gracious and so kind. And the day that, the day that he sent me that endorsement, I just burst into tears. I was home alone, but I, you know, I, that was like my one part of that writing journey of that first book that like made me weep. It was so meaningful to me. It was so special. That, that is really special. It was, um, I mean, you got, you know, getting endorsements, I feel like that can be, it's just a little intimidating, you know, to just ask right. people, you're like, will you like, just, just put yeah. your name on, just say this is good. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and hopefully they do actually read it first. Although sometimes I think people just do the skim, but, yeah. um, but sure. yeah, that, that was definitely one of the hardest parts for me was getting, getting people in there. But I, um, you know, I did it and it really mostly worked out for the most part. So yeah, I mean, it it's worth vulnerable, it. but oh, we, yeah. we survive when people say no, it's okay. I know I got to get better at that, but I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what message do you most want to pass on to your kids? Man, this is such a hard one. Um, you know, I think right now there are so many, I don't know that I can, if I had to sort of boil it down into one statement, the thing that I want my kids to learn is that you know, there, there are not good people and bad people. Um, I think that's kind of the message I have somehow absorbed as a child. And I, and I, of course, saw myself as one of the good ones. And mm-hmm. that, that did not serve me well. So, you know, when I, when I think of just this life that we've kind of, that our kids very much live with us, that's what I hope, you know, I don't know. It's always, it's always such a crapshoot. Like you just, I don't know that my yeah. kids you know, some of my kids might grow up and be like, well, that was ridiculous. And they might want to go off. And I don't know, you just don't know how people are going to react. But I hope that they, that they take with them the way of Jesus, you know, just the, the weird way of Jesus, where you can choose the small thing, and you can choose the pain, and you can choose to see everybody around you and yourself as, as, you know, made in the image of God and good and beautiful, and also kind of the worst, you know, we're just, we're all there together. Um, and then, you know, on a more personal note, my, my family, um, because all my kids are adopted and there are all kinds of things that come along with that. But right now we're in a season of, I'm saying a lot, you know, it takes a lot of courage to, to choose healing. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of courage to, you know, so we're, we're going to therapy and, you know, we're doing all these things that can feel hard for kids, but, but to just model for them that, you know, this, this is worth it, but it, it takes a lot of courage and, you know, to, to pursue health and wholeness and healing and, you know, the healing of that God gives, um, that that's a really a purposeful thing to do. One more thing I was going to ask you just about Robert. Um, how do you think, because I think most people are kind of like, well, why would you adopt someone at 19? You know, a lot of people right. not familiar <laughs> with that world of foster care and adoption. Sure. And so I know that there is a need and I know that there are people that have been in the system that still want to be adopted even at 17, 18 years old. Um, How do you think that, you know, whether specifically Robert or just in general, how a family coming into someone's life at that point, how do you think that can really still make a huge impact? I I think it's just, it's, it's the same with, with adoption at any age, really, because I, you know, I look back on those early years and, you know, I wrote about that a little more in Falling Free probably. Um, But man, those were some hard days because you have to do that work of building the trust. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was, you know, and I think there were, 
there were times, especially in the beginning, where there was kind of that testing happening. Mm -hmm. And not only for Robert, I remember being terrified because he's grown. I mean, he can walk out the door and hop into his car and I could never see him again. And I remember Mm -hmm. feeling so vulnerable and so afraid that he was going to not need or, or choose us. And so I, I always, I always want to remember and, and, you know, talk to other people about what a privilege it is to be chosen by our kids. Um, and to just be there. I mean, we have been through the war and back with Robert. And so in some ways I know that, you know, he's our oldest and we're going to journey through this with our younger kids too, eventually, but man, it's been, it's been a hard road in a lot of ways. And he's still, he's still kind of in the clutches of this, this really messed up criminal justice system. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he's still on probation and just never ends. Um, but to, to just consistently, I mean, we had very direct conversations like, just so you know, Robert, there is literally nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do that will that will cause us to withdraw our love and your place in this family. I mean, you know, showing him that he is, he's every bit as much a part of the family as our three little kids who came to us as babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just takes time and it takes, it just takes those years of, of him being able to to look back and see that we have we have never taken a step away and for us to be able to do the same yeah. you know to just to to learn to trust each other along the way but man it's 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 super um meaningful it's mm-hmm. meaningful for grown adults who might not have family you know i one of one of the most important relationships in my life is my friendship with a woman named becca mm-hmm. and she's old enough to be my mom but she is in many ways an orphan herself, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to, to think through like, what does that look like to pull her into our family and to just, you know, to just sort of claim her, like you're one of us now. Yeah. You're going to be here for holidays. I mean, you're, and you know, to, to receive, you know, to love her, but to receive love from her. So, you know, we talk about God's call to love orphans, but I think sometimes we've got to think outside of that box. Yeah. What is an, what is an orphan? Not always a five-year-old kid. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's so true. And, you know, one of the, you know, you know, I'm sure that, you know, rates of suicide and depression and addiction are in a skyrocketed right now. And yeah. one of the reasons for that is a lot of, I mean, one of the many reasons, of course, but um, isolation. Uh, one right. thing I recently read was that the states that have the highest uh, rates of suicide are those with the most or is it least dense populations where there's the oh, yeah. spread out like with disconnect. Right. Basically. Right. So like Montana yeah. is one of the number one Interesting. places. And so it just goes to show you that human connection, even, even if small um, can make a huge difference in the long right. run. Um, yep. All right, Shannon. Well, thank you for sharing all that with me. It was so wonderful to talk to you yeah, um, I loved just in it. person about all of the things that I've read in your books and heard you talk about on other podcasts. I hope that we can meet at some point. I know I do too. Um, if you're yeah. ever back in Indy for an event or anything, um, definitely let me know. Cause I will put it on the calendar. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm heading back that way once and once this summer and once this fall. So I, you know, when I get details for that, I'll be sharing that stuff online, but it would be fun to meet you. Yes. I a hundred percent would love to come to anything that you're doing. And, um, yeah, just thanks for, thanks for taking the time. I know you were on Jen Hatmaker recently and I'm no Jen Hatmaker. So it really means a lot to me that you would take the time to be on my podcast. Oh, I'm so glad that you asked. Thank you. All right. Well, have a great weekend and thanks again. All right. Bye.
Thanks. Bye. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.